0: morning. morning. You all ready for day two? Okay. Um, I'm Moses Soyola. This is one of my favorite weekends of the year. I'm just so excited to be here. I've been waiting for this for about the past 18 months. Um, this is a weekend that really, for me, always just sets the tone for the next 12 months. And, you know, this weekend, we want to be no different than that. I think, in addition to that, like Alicia said last night, we want this weekend to be a catalyst. A catalyst for... New fire, new commitment, new relationship, new behavior um, as we encounter God and as we encounter his presence. So this morning, we'll be doing a deep dive into what it means to spend time in God's presence. And this message is really directed at those of us who think spending time in God's presence is extra credit and only for the holiest of holy rollers. And by the end of this message, I my hope is that you'll be convinced that spending time in God's presence is the most valuable thing that any human being can engage in and that spending time in God's presence is the fundamental building block of your life as a follower of Jesus. So it's not the icing on the cake, it's the cake. And I'm hoping to convince you that if you develop a habit of spending time in God's presence on a regular basis, if you get to the point where it's something you cannot go without, your life will be infinitely better. Not just incrementally better, infinitely better. I'm hoping that you'll develop a real thirst for the presence of God and that you'll see a clear path towards satisfying that thirst. And the hope is that after this, as we get into the time of solitude, you'll get to taste God's presence and recognize that it's something that you want to experience on a regular daily basis. Cool? All right, let's get into it. I'm going to start by reading the scripture, which is up on the screen. This is from 1 John 2:28. And now, dear children, remain in him... So that when he is revealed, we may have joyful confidence and not be ashamed when we stand before him at his appearing. And now, dear children, remain in him so that when he is revealed, we may have joyful confidence and not be ashamed when we stand before him at his appearing. And now, dear children, remain in him. That's what this morning is about. Remaining in him, remaining in Jesus, remaining in God. John tells us to remain in him so that we can have joyful confidence and inner certainty and assurance that when it's all said and done, when we come to our, the end of our lives, when the universe arrives at its final conclusion, when Jesus appears, we won't be ashamed. We won't have missed out, but rather we will have attained our best possible lives. And what do we do to get there? We simply remain in him. We abide in him. We stay rooted in Jesus. Basically, what John knows is that is if what John knows is that if we remain in him, everything else that we deeply desire will fall into place. John didn't make this up either. He's actually quoting from Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, which reads, So you must remain, this is Jesus talking, so you must remain in fellowship, In your Passion Translation it will say life union with me. This is what Alicia was talking about last night, about sharing our life with Jesus. So you must remain in life Union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine, and you are my branches. As you live in union with me, as your source fruitfulness will stream from within you, but when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, He is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. It's so simple. We just have to stay abiding in him. And the consequences, if we do either one, are drastic. On the one hand, if you're separated from him, you're powerless. But if you abide in him... Whatever you desire will be done. You will have a stream of fruitfulness streaming from you. Jesus tells us that if we remain in life union with him, that if we stay joined with him at the hip, if we abide in his presence, everything else will fall into place and we will be living our best lives. So three sections to this morning's message. First, our thirst for God's presence. Second, the truth about God's presence. And third, how to enter God's presence. So our thirst for God's presence, the truth about God's presence, and how to enter God's presence. So first, our thirst for God's presence. I want to start here because even though you see John saying it and you see Jesus saying it, that being in God's presence is the key to living your best life, I'm guessing some of us might be a little skeptical or at least not yet motivated enough to make this a regular practice in our lives. It sounds like a nice-to-have and like it could be marginally helpful in the day-to-day or maybe when you're in dire straits, but otherwise... You don't really need to put it high on the priority list or on the priority list at all. And I want to spend some time convincing you that you need this. You need this. Not the person next to you. They need it too. But you need it. Not your spouse or your boss or your coworker. Not other people. You. And the reason you need it is because you are thirsty. What do I mean by that? Well, what is thirst? The dictionary defines thirst as a strong desire for something or the lack of the liquid needed to sustain life. Do you have a strong desire for something that you feel like you need in order to sustain your life? Do you have a deep-seated soul-level dissatisfaction, a deep sense of being unfulfilled to the point where life does not seem sustainable, to the point where life seems kind of hollow? Do you feel unsatisfied, as Solomon did in writing Proverbs 27, when he said, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied? Or as he did in writing Ecclesiastes 1, no matter how much we see, no matter we are never satisfied, no matter how much we hear, we are not content. Do you feel that discontentment? Is that the state of your soul when you go to sleep, when you wake up in the morning as you go throughout your day, unfulfilled, dissatisfied, thirsty? I'm guessing for some of us it is because that's the human condition, the default state of our souls, this thirstiness. And nothing has awakened us to this like the past two years. The question for us is not whether we're thirsty, but how we're gonna go about quenching our deep, soul-level thirst. And there are two types of resources that we might go to to quench our thirst. There are finite resources, and there's an eternal resource. And the problem is we, often, we too often choose the finite resources. And unfortunately, finite resources are like bottom-shelf liquor. They're cheaper, they're easier to grab, but the hangover is brutal. <laughs> Hopefully y'all didn't grab a bottom shelf liquor for the listening party last night and aren't experiencing that right now. But uh, yeah, they leave us more parched than before we consume them. And, you know, some examples of the finite resources we try to use to quench our, our, our soul thirst, relationships. How often do we try to satisfy our thirst through another person who isn't God? And does that last... And what about careers and achievement? How much are we trying to satisfy our deep soul level thirst through climbing the ladder in our careers, achieving the next promotion, closing the next big deal, landing the dream job, doing work that has impact? Does it work? Does it last? What about money and possessions? How much are we trying to satisfy that thirst through the size of our bank accounts, the designer goods we have, the luxuriousness of our homes, recreation, How much are we trying to satisfy our thirst with the next party or brunch or festival or travel excursion that we can put on the gram or the news? How much are we scratching that itch by trying to know what's going on in the world, politics, belonging to a particular party, being on the right side of whatever political issue arises? The problem with all of these things isn't the things in and of themselves. The problem is that we look to them to satisfy our deepest soul level thirst and they can't because they're finite resources. They run dry. They leave us wanting more and more and more. And if we end up trying to quench our thirst with them, we'll end up saying, like Solomon, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's all a chasing after wind. Thankfully, there's an alternative to quenching our thirst with finite resources that leave us dissatisfied and wanting more. That alternative is to quench our thirst with an eternal resource that never runs dry. There aren't too many to choose from. There's only one. It's God himself. And listen to this. This is what Jesus says to the woman at the well in John 4. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never be thirsty again. If anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never be thirsty again. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain, flooding you with endless life. I'm going to read it again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, They will never be thirsty again. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain flooding you with endless life. Pause for a second there. If you drink this water, you'll never be thirsty again. If you drink this water, it floods you with endless life. Isn't that what we all want? To be flooded with endless life? To experience deep, soul-level satisfaction that gushes out of us overflows from us, God himself is the only resource that can provide this. And when we see this, we realize that the human condition of being thirsty at the deepest soul level, it's not a bug. It's not an error in the programming. It's the fundamental feature. Because God created us so that our deepest satisfaction can only be realized through relationship with him, through being in his glorious presence. No one knew this better than David who said in Psalm 16, "'Because of you I know the path of life "'as I taste the fullness of joy in your presence. "'At your right side I experience "'divine pleasures forevermore.'" And also in Psalm 42, "'I long to drink of you, O God, "'to drink deeply from the streams of pleasure "'flowing from your presence. "'My longings overwhelm me for more of you. "'My soul thirsts, pants, and longs for the living God.'" I want to come and see the face of God. David knew that the fullness of joy could only be found in God's presence. That the most sensational earthly pleasures compared not a lick to the divine pleasures in God's presence. He was overwhelmed with longing for God's presence. He longed to just be with God and experience intimacy with God. Moses knew it too, not me, the guy in the Bible. At some point after they escaped Egypt... And crossed the Red Sea. The Israelites did something so terrible that God said, you know what? I'm going to send you guys to the promised land, but I'm going to send you on your own. And I'm not going to go with you. God was essentially saying to Moses, you and these people can have all the earthly possessions you ever wanted, the land flowing with milk and honey, mansions you didn't build, gardens you didn't plant, all the luxurious comforts you ever wanted, all the success you ever wanted. But I, your God, am not going to go with you. And Moses said, No deal. He said, no deal. Listen to his response to God. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. A few verses down after God's like, fine, I'll go with you. Moses is like, please, God, show me your glorious presence. And I just like, stop there. God promised to give Moses and the people Everything they could have ever wanted, except himself. That they would be able to live their best life, except without him. Moses was like, God, that's not my best life. My best life is wherever you are. Do you want God as badly as Moses did? Or do you just want the finite resources that he can give you, but that don't actually satisfy? Moses knew where the real value was, the real value and satisfaction was and is and always has been wherever God the only eternal resource is not where the finite resources are because nothing satisfies our deep soul thirst like the presence of God. Moses knew it. David knew it. Jesus knew it. Do we know it? So I hope now we're kind of salivating for God's presence. I hope that's the sensation we're experiencing and You know, knowing that only his presence can satisfy, it's now we're ready to move into the next section, which is understanding the truth about God's presence. Because it's important to know what we're getting ourselves into when we get into his presence. So far we've established that God's presence will satisfy us like nothing else can, but what is his presence actually like? What is the experience of being in God's presence actually Well, first of all, it's a completely unmanageable experience. And by that, I mean that when you come into the presence of the living God, you are encountering the creator of the universe. You are encountering the purest, holiest, greatest, most glorious being. You are encountering reality itself. You are encountering the one in whom all things have their being, from whom all things draw their existence. And it can be overwhelming and even a bit terrifying. Moses, same guy who didn't want to go anywhere without God's presence, In that same story, he had literally just come from spending 40 days in God's presence on the top of Mount Sinai. And at the beginning of that time, as he goes up to the mountain, he's actually trembling in fear. Hebrews describes it this way. Moses came to a physical mountain with its burning fire, thick clouds of darkness and gloom, and with a raging whirlwind. The astounding phenomena Moses witnessed caused him to shudder with fear, and he could only say, I am trembling in terror. In Isaiah 6... Isaiah literally has a vision as in the, as an, and is in the throne room of God. And the first thing that he says is, Woe is me. I am undone. I am unclean. The people I am around are unclean. I am undone. Woe is me. And the reason I highlight the terrifying, unmanageable aspect of God's presence is because it's important to understand that when we're coming into the presence of the living God, we're encountering someone utterly beyond ourselves. Many of us come into God's presence thinking of him much smaller than he is. We think that he is a tool meant to be wielded for our purposes, a genie meant to satisfy our earthly desires, to be managed towards our ends. God is not a genie, and we cannot manage him. We have to remember that we are seeking to enter the presence of the creator of the universe. We don't have authority over him. He has authority over us. We don't dictate to and demand of him. He dictates to and demands of us. He does not stand in reference to us. We and all of creation are created in reference to him and draw our being and very breath from him, are sustained by him, are made for his purposes. And that can be daunting. Honestly, the unmanageable nature of God is why we often prefer the finite resources that we can manage to our liking, that we can wield for our own purposes and that don't demand anything of us, even though they don't fully satisfy us. But since God is the only one who can fully satisfy us, if we want to be satisfied, if we want to quench that deep, soul-level thirst, we have to accept that. We cannot manage him and enter his presence on his terms so that we can be filled. And in recognizing that we can't manage God, we then open ourselves up to the fulfillment and the satisfaction that can be found in his presence. And what are some of those tangible ways that he fulfills and satisfies us? Well, are you sad? Are you in a funk? Are you one of those people who's responding to everything these days? I'm just a little tired, but you know there's something more going on. The scriptures say, in his presence there is fullness of joy. Are you agitated, distressed, anxious, restless, just filled with angst? The scriptures say, in his presence there is peace that surpasses all understanding. Do you feel like you don't know how to navigate the world, that you're just not sure what you should be doing? The scriptures say that God gives wisdom, that from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. You feel like you're not the person you want to be. The scriptures say you can be transformed in his presence and have your mind renewed and prove what is a good and acceptable way to live. Do you feel like you just don't know up from down that you are all screwed up, everything around you is all screwed up, and the whole world is all screwed up? One of the psalmists was just like you. Psalm 73, he wrote, when I tried to understand it all, all the chaos and ugliness in the world, I just couldn't. It was too puzzling, too much of a riddle to me. But then one day I was brought into the sanctuaries of God and the light of glory. My distorted perspective vanished. In God's presence, all distorted perspective, all the disorientation, all the funhouse mirrors that Alicia talked about last night, they vanished. They vanished. That's the satisfaction that comes from his presence. Lasting joy, true peace, real wisdom, transformed character, and rightly oriented perspective. And the only way to get all that in a way that truly lasts and doesn't fade away is to get into God's presence. So we've established that we have a deep dissatisfaction that only God can satisfy and that being in his presence is, only, is, something, is not something we can manage, but it's incredibly fulfilling in all these ways. And hopefully, some of us are itching to get into that time of solitude now. Um, and that's great. But maybe some of us aren't. And maybe it's because you practically don't know how to get into God's presence. Maybe you don't actually, you're not even necessarily feeling that desire just yet. And I just want to acknowledge that and say, you know, don't be discouraged by your lack of desire. But also, don't let that stop you from getting started. Um, So even if you don't have an immediate desire, try to get into God's presence anyway. And this last section is meant to help demystify the actual practical steps we might take to get into God's presence. So first, I'll share a couple of requirements and then some practical tips. So when we enter into God's presence, it's really important that we do so in the right posture. And I don't mean physical posture. I mean the posture of our hearts, minds, and souls. Jesus, in the same conversation where he tells the woman about living water that gushes into a fountain of endless life, says to her that God longs for sincere worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. Those two things must always characterize our approach when we enter into God's presence, spirit and truth. First, we must enter into God's presence with the right spirit, and second, we must enter into God's presence with the truth. What is the right spirit? The right spirit is God's spirit, That dwells in each of us who have trusted in Jesus. And according to the scriptures, the spirit of God testifies that we are now children of God. So we enter into God's presence with the right spirit and according to our statuses as children, recognizing him as our father, our good father who loves us, wants what's best for us, and will give us what's best for us. Second, we enter into God's presence with truth. We have to approach God according to what is true about him, what's true about us, and what's true about the world around us. And where can we find that truth? Well, Jesus prays for his disciples. When he prays for his disciples, he says to the Father, your word is truth, make them holy by your truth. According to Jesus, the only complete and infallible source of truth is the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation in its entirety. Not the New York Times, not the latest self-help book, not the Democrats, not the Republicans, not whatever you're following on Instagram. Honestly, not even your pastor's sermons and messages about the Bible, but the Bible itself is the only source of truth. And so if we want to enter God's presence in a spirit of truth, we have to enter it with, the, with his word as our guide. Okay, so now for the practical tips. So I'll caveat all this by saying like, this is what I do. Um, these are things that have worked for me, and they may not work for you. Uh, Laughter. <laughs> some may, some may not. You might have to adjust over time. They might work for you in some seasons and, and other seasons they might not. And the idea is like, this is just a starting point. None of this is gospel. None of this is, you know, don't don't treat it legalistically. Don't, uh, yeah, some of these are aspirational. So don't worry if if you're not, you know, following this to a T. This is literally just what I do. So um, like I said, the most important thing is to start. I, I like to think of there being sort of uh, two practical components to getting into the presence of God. One is timing, and then two is the tools and, and phases of the time I spend with God. So first on timing. You know, there are some people who would tell you that the only appropriate time to spend with God is first thing in the morning, right when you wake up. I'm not one of those people who will tell you that. Um, I believe the best time to spend with God is the time when you're most alert and will be most engaged. And that's because God just deserves your best hours. So, you know, there are some of you who your best hours might be first thing in the morning, or they might be just before you go to bed, but that's super, super rare. For many of us, our best, most alert hours are sometime in the mid-morning or in the early afternoon. Or if you're a person who works out, maybe you're most alert right after that. And so if you can manage it, I would suggest trying to block out time at your during those like high-alert segments of the day. The amount of time is also important. I I tend to try to guide myself toward 45 minutes um, for a few reasons. One, it's a big enough block of time that you really have to be intentional about carving it out. And two, in my experience, anything less and not much can really happen. When you really want to spend time with someone, do you schedule five minutes, 10 minutes, even 30 minutes? No, it's really not enough time. And so you know, I I recommend 45 minutes. And then the last piece of timing is frequency. And the aspiration should be daily. Every single day. Does anybody play Wordle? So, you know, my Wordle streak, I think, is like 21 days long. Your God streak should be longer than your Wordle streak. Um, So, you know, I would say find a 45-minute block of time when you're going to be most alert to spend with God Every day. And, you know, whenever, if there's a time of the week that you plan out your week, use that to look at your calendar and find those times, those blocks of times that you can spend with God. Um, the next part is like what you actually do in your time with God. And I recommend bringing three things to your time in the presence of God. And each of these three things corresponds to a phase of your time in the presence of God. So the first is a worship playlist, the second is your Bible, and the third is a journal. Um, and when I, when I allocate my time, I kind of divide it into three segments. The first is spending time in worship, listening to worship music, singing along to worship music. And it does the same thing that it does for us you know, in these sessions and each week on Sunday, which is that it ushers us into the presence of God. We know music is a powerful force for aligning our emotions and our dispositions. And so listening to worship music is a way to quickly clear out all the guck that was in your heart and head before you got into the presence of God and begin to align your heart with God's heart. After I listen to music for 15 minutes, I move into reading the Bible. And in this season of life, um, my approach is I just get into a specific book of the Bible and I read one chapter a day until I finish that book. I usually read it a few times over. And it's just so important to get into daily reading of Scripture. If you wanna know real truth, the only way to do that is by reading the Word lingering in it, meditating on it. If something is confusing, journal about it, highlight it, write it down, ask somebody about it. And if you're early in your walk, something that can be really helpful is using a devotional, um, which is an app or a booklet that has specific readings for each day It sort of structures your time with God. And we're actually gonna be offering a devotional over the next week for Holy Week um, to, to help guide people on getting into scripture. But there's no substitute for the actual Bible. So it's really important to spend time and linger in the scripture itself. And then for the final segment, I spend time in prayer talking to God. And that's where a journal comes in. For me, saying prayers in my head or out loud is really hard. Um, I just, my mind wanders. I lose the thread of the conversation. uh, And so that's why I journal my prayers. And it helps to focus my thoughts and really minimize distracting thoughts that might come into my head. And when I pray, I generally follow a specific structure that I learned somewhere along the way called the ACTS model of prayer, Um, ACTS, A-C-T-S. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I start my prayers with adoration. I acknowledge God and who he is, adoring him, telling him there's no one like him, telling him how great and awesome and wonderful he is, how amazing his plans are, even the parts I don't know, how amazing it is that he's in control of everything. I just start by just adoring him and getting to a posture of worship. And then I confess. Once I acknowledge how great God is, it's very obvious how not great I am. So I confess any known sins, and I ask God to reveal any unknown sins to me, and ask him to help me repent and change and live more like he wants me to live. Then Thanksgiving. I spend time thanking God. And you know, I think sometimes it's hard to figure out what we can be grateful for, but if you've just spent time in confession, you know that you can at least be grateful for God's forgiveness and for Jesus who creates this ability for you to experience relationship with God. And so I spend time thanking him for that and then moving on to all the other things that God has provided in my life and thanking him for those. And finally, at the very end, after worship and after getting into his word, and after adoring him and confessing and thanking him, then supplication, asking him for my requests, asking him for the things that I want. And there's nothing that's off the table here, relationship, job, a sickness, a problem, anything. I ask him for what's on my heart. And then I end by acknowledging his awesomeness again, committing everything to his will in his perfect ways. And that's that's it. And that's a structure that works for me. It may be a structure that works for you. It might not. But the important thing is that in this, you're focused on aligning your agenda with his, not the other way around. And here's what I found after doing this for a little while. You know, I don't regularly have a transcendently profound experience in that 45 minutes. I don't regularly get a specific insight from God. I often don't immediately see the specific answers to the things I may have prayed for. But I notice a lot of things in hindsight. I respond to things differently. Those finite resources, those finite things that I often went to to satisfy my deep soul-level thirst, when those don't go my way, the angst isn't as deep. The anger isn't as deep. The frustration isn't as deep. The sadness isn't as deep. And I especially notice it on those days that I don't spend time in the presence of God because then those things start to return. Those things start to creep back in. And I realize that it's not me, it's him. And I need him and I want him because he's the only one who can satisfy my thirst. Let's pray. Father, you're just so good you're so good to create us to need you and then to just provide yourself so abundantly to us you're a good father and I just pray that you ignite desire in us you cultivate fire in us to just want you To know that only you can satisfy us. Only you can give us what we need at our deepest level. God, encounter people today. Encounter us today as we move into a time of looking to experience you, of being in your presence. Encounter people. Show people who you are. Show us who you are. So that we recognize not only that we need you, but that we just want more and more of you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we're going to move into the time of solitude now. Um, so if you feel ready to, to do this, to go get alone in God's presence, great. Go find a quiet place, get into God's presence, follow my structure, don't follow my structure, whatever you want to do. Um, if you need a prompt for Scripture... John 15 is a great prompt, which can be found on page 280 of your Passion Translation, so feel free to use that. And then if you're someone who's still a little bit intimidated by all this, doesn't feel like you're comfortable getting into God's presence on your own by yourself, hang out in this room. Marcy and I are going to hang out here, and we'll help facilitate um, getting into God's presence here. And what, Godfrey? And the youth should go with Godfrey. Cool? Is is that it, am I done? I don't know.